You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, the podcast that explores the power of inclusion and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Produced by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, with your hosts, Jeanette Campbell and Dean Askin. These days, there's more conversation about disability inclusion in business and employment than ever. It's been driven by some rapid changes in the nature and future of work. All this conversation is a good thing, but it's a discourse that's actually been going on in this country for over a hundred years. Hello there, I'm Dean Askin, and welcome to this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. And you heard that right. For all intents and purposes, the modern conversation in Canada about disability inclusion started during World War I. Hi there, I'm Jeanette Campbell here at The Other Mic. And that's right, the disability inclusion conversation was originally focused on wounded veterans who were repatriating home with a disability and their employment prospects, their employability, and just how they fit into and were perceived by Canadian society and employers of the day. Sound kind of familiar? Well, the nuances have changed since 1917 and 1918, but here we are in 2023, and the conversation about disability inclusion in business is still going on. Indeed, not just in this country, but around the world. These days, the disability factor is mostly rolled into the overarching business conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how much has really changed, in Canada anyway? And how much has the needle moved? Where is it right now? And how much more does it need to move? Questions we're going to be exploring on this episode. There are over 600,000 people in Canada who have a disability and can and want to work. But they're a talent group that's being overlooked when it comes to talent recruitment by businesses. Well, that's the state of things in a nutshell. But keep listening, because our three guests are going to peel away the layers and give us their insights about the past, present, and future state of disability inclusion in business in this country. Joining us from Toronto is Michael Bach. He is an internationally recognized thought leader on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. And he's the founder of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. From the West Coast, we're joined by Yat Lee and Anita Huberman. Yad is the Senior Accessibility Consultant for the President's Group. That's a network of 25 business leaders in British Columbia who are champions for more accessible, inclusive workplaces. Yad's on the line from Vancouver. And in nearby Surrey, British Columbia, Anita Huberman. Anita has been the president of the Surrey Board of Trade for over 25 years. She's also the co-chair of the Disability Inclusion Business Council. Now, if you haven't heard of that, well, it's a new council created in December 2022. I think we'll be finding out more about this new council over the course of this conversation. So let's get things started. Michael Bach, Yat Lee, and Anita Huberman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Now, Michael, I want to throw this first question out to you because I know you're passionate about things. Where do you think we are on the disability inclusion and awareness barometer in 2023? I mean, how would you describe the overall state of disability inclusion and business in Canada these days? Well, not great, if I'm being totally truthful. And I say this with all intended respect for employers that are working in uh, what I call the idea space, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. But I, if I go back to when I started in this field some uh, nearly 20 years ago, I really had the naive belief that um, people with di disabilities or diverse abilities were included in diversity and inclusion. And yet I continued to see, and I see to this day, where employers are always leaving the A, the accessibility piece, to the very end, if they're including it at all. And it's it's frustrating for me um, because people just and it just seem to leave it off. And, and I say this as a person with a disability, that um, I, I want to see employers putting the A 
uh, out front that I want to see um, people looking at the lens of everything they do through the accessibility lens to know that they are uh, including all Canadians. Anita, you've been representing a board of trade out there in Surrey for a long time. What's your perspective on on where things are right now with all of this? Well, I think we have moved the needle when it comes to larger businesses, uh, really ensuring uh, productive pathways and supportive mechanisms related to hiring persons with diverse abilities. Uh, however, I think the gap uh, still remains. I, you know, uh, I, you know, we started this work uh, really in the early two thousands. And uh, with the small and medium-sized businesses, they're still challenged in terms of hiring persons uh, with diverse abilities and uh, accessing those supports. There's a lot of supports, uh, but uh, for some reason, the gap is still there. And uh, we still have a long ways to go. And that's why we're working. I'm representing the Canadian Chamber of Commerce our national chamber on really impacting meaningful outcomes for small and medium-sized businesses, which actually drive Canada's economy. And they don't have the resources actually that large businesses do, uh, you know, such as large financial institutions or huge corporations. Um, there, there's a gap and we're trying to understand why and to make meaningful outcomes uh, across our nation, uh, in addition to here in uh, Surrey, British Columbia, and the Metro Vancouver region. Yeah, what are you seeing out there, you know, amongst the president's group? You know, in recent years, there has been a growing focus on disability inclusion and awareness, of course, in Canada, but also in the lower mainland here in British Columbia. Uh, we recognize that diversity, of course, is inevitable, um, but we recognize that attitudes over the past decade that Anita had just mentioned has shown us that there is greater awareness, tolerance, and acceptance of greater diversity. We see that in some of our presence group uh, employers. We see that in our community. And we're living in a world that has really never been as connected as we are today. So we are seeing some of the employers leading this change. Now, of course, uh, we see this commitment from the, uh, from the Disability Inclusion Business Council as one of the examples. Uh, we are starting to see that in smaller organizations across Canada as well too. Smaller businesses do need that support and those training and good business practices to hire people with disabilities. And with that said, we are still seeing some hesitancy from businesses, uh, and that could be limited resources, lack of awareness, and also really um, the main, sometimes the main crux of it could just be the ingrained attitudes and biases. So these are some of the accessibility gaps that still exist, um, attitudinally, and also in physical spaces digital platforms, for example, and services which hinder participation from people with disabilities. And, you know, yeah, um, sort of jumping on to, to that idea, you know, all three of you have mentioned uh, these different ways that this conversation, for lack of a better term, is occurring. And, you know, Michael, you talked about some of the challenges around, you know, the A is being left out of a lot of a lot of the conversation and Anita you referenced the fact that you know there's still these gaps with the small to medium businesses larger businesses are starting those large global corporations and national corporations are are on the right track and um and then and then yeah you're talking about you know this there's growing awareness there's there's um you know i think you said there's more acceptance there's more tolerance so one of the, what i'm wondering about is you know if there's all of this business conversation you know and we're saying there's more than ever before about diversity equity and inclusion you know what what are your thoughts on on does it tend to focus often do businesses tend to focus on on gender and ethnicity and disability sometimes just completely gets left out of the equation and and why do you think things like that keep happening and do you have ideas of how we can change them i open that question to to anyone 
Well, I think, you know, today, um, at least in British Columbia, there is um, a leadership paradigm shift, um, and especially with the leadership of the BC government around um, uh, environmental social governance principles, procurement activities, all of those pieces. Um, so, you know, the actual cultural shift is happening and it's in progress. Um, I think, you know, when it, you know, businesses are so strapped in terms of cost of living pressures and human resources is just so complicated for them to navigate, especially if their only modus operandi is really, uh, you know, delivering a, a, a service or making a product. And then they rely on others to really ensure the HR, financial, marketing, all of those other pieces. But if you're a five-person business, um, you need a skilled talent right away. You have no time for training. Um, you know, I don't think, um, you know, I think employers, especially today in today's economic environment, uh, will take the time to uh to really ensure the training, you know, but uh, employers are in a rush. Um, you know, they're desperate to find labor um, and they want someone ready to go. And uh, I think, you know, especially in, in Metro Vancouver where we're a very multicultural society, uh, you know, um, ethnicity, um, you know, uh, gender, you know, from my perspective, um, you know, really, it's it's the skills that people will bring to the job um, and to the overall organization that is most important in today's economy. But having that person ready to rock and roll uh, right away is uh, the number one priority for that employer. Just following on on what Anita just said, I think part of the problem is there's a perception still for some reason that hiring a person with a disability or diversity means you're going to have to make massive changes. You're going to have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get that person up to speed and uh, working. And you know, all of the studies tell us that's not the case. As a person with a disability, I don't need any accommodation. Um, but there is the perception because they think of people with disabilities as somehow requiring accommodation that it uh, kind of taints the picture. And I think that's the case with smaller employers. I think once you get into the, I don't know where we draw the line at medium to, to large employers, but let's say 250 employees, I don't know. Um, I don't think there's a lack of want. I think most of them get it. They're not, you know, they're, they're looking for talent regardless of of what package it comes in, um, but they there seems to be this perpetual forgetting of the accommodations, and it is. Per, it, I'm not going to say always, but you know, the majority of times that need for accommodation is left to the person with the disability, so they have to ask for it. So you know, there's going to be a conference. And no one has thought to make sure that there's an ASL or QSL interpreter. Um, they're going to, uh, you know, they hand out printed materials. No one thinks that they need to have an accessible PDF or a, or a Braille version. There's just this uh, continual um, uh, forgetting that you're you're not always pitching to the majority. Um, and I think of I'm gonna I'm gonna tattle a little and talk about the city of Calgary, which I spent a lot of time in, and I I'm a big fan of. But when in my former organization we were looking for an office in Calgary, I said to my real estate agent, "We need a fully accessible office building," and I had to outline for him what that meant. And I cannot tell you the number of buildings we went to where it was not accessible because there was no ramp or the only wheelchair accessible entrance was um, through the basement, through the parking garage. Um, I One building, it was through the parking garage. And I said, well, what if the person doesn't drive? And they just looked at me like I had just told them the secret of the universe. Um, and 
you know, bathrooms that didn't have assistive devices to open or weren't wheelchair accessible, you know, braille on signs, the, the fundamental basics of accessibility. And they're just not thinking about that. And it's not to say that Calgarians, the province of Alberta, isn't doesn't want to be an inclusive place for people with disabilities, but they are not necessarily thinking about the barriers to access for our communities. I'd like to build off of what Michael and Anita had just mentioned. Very important to focus on the fact that there is still a lack of understanding, awareness, and stereotypes, and people just you know not knowing what to say or ask even when a person self-identifies in the workplace. Uh, I've come across um, situations on a personal level where I self-identify as a person with disability. I have a congenital disability. I'm deaf and hard of hearing. I read lips and I wear a prosthetic ear. I, I go on, a, on an orientation tour at the, at the office at a workplace and I see all these headphones that I can't use. <laughs> because I can't wear physical headphones and headsets um, and I use an assistive tech. Um, but had I not, you know, mustered some courage to share and self-disclose and also at the same time risk potentially, you know, being vulnerable, really, um, I don't know what to, where else I could be provided that job, job accommodation unless I asked. So, if I didn't ask, um, I would have to really just fake it along the way and 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 find you know my own methods to cope. So you know, with that being said, we recognize that you know twenty two percent of the Canadians self-identify with a disability. So imagine going to dinner next time and getting a table for four. One of you could have a disability, and that's a huge number. So organizations need to really focus on people with disabilities in the workplace. Uh, we often see them left out of this conversation, predominantly due to lack of education, awareness, training. Um, so we continually need to bring this into the forefront for employers in Canada. And so, yeah, and thank you all three of you for, for those insights into that. You know, building on this then, we've pointed out some of the some of the challenges and some of the problems. So let's flip this around for a second and say what what is it that businesses are doing right today around disability inclusion that maybe they weren't doing five or 15 years ago? What's the progress that you that you have witnessed? I think certainly uh, businesses are uh, you know really ensuring they're taking advantage of grant opportunities to make their businesses more accessible. Uh, they're taking advantage, some of them, of certification programs, uh, you know, through the Rick Hansen Foundation, for example. Uh, even our city of Surrey, one of our, the largest municipal employers, uh, has been a leader in, in that regard. Um, I think uh, certainly from a human resources standpoint, whether it's from a policy perspective, you know, those HR manuals, uh, you know, really ensuring that the culture of inclusivity um, of their workforce, um, you know, I, I've been in this uh, position as president for 17 years with the organization this year for 30 years. And I've seen a significant paradigm cultural shift um, in, in the recognition of hiring persons with diverse abilities and creating those supports, the HR policies to really support um, everyone. Every single person matters in this economy. And never before has that been so top of mind and prevalent in terms of moving our economy forward. Yeah, what do you think? You know, we are starting to see a bit of a shift from this compliance to inclusion mindset naturally that Anita just really focused on and spotlighted on, which I really appreciate employers um, recognizing this. Um, because instead of seeing this, you know, as a legality for disability accommodation, they're now embracing this as a more of a proactive and inclusive approach by recognizing that, hey, there is value to a diverse workforce and they're actively trying to 
create this inclusive environment. Um, one of the principles uh, that are um, uh, really important to, to recognize is nothing about us without us. And this particular principle really ties in deep uh, to an organization's intent on hiring practices, inclusive hiring ones, uh, development of employee resource groups, which I see uh, many employers adopting. So employee resource groups are homogenous uh, groups uh, pertaining to potentially accessibility or disability groups where they share best practices and some of the successes and challenges upstream back to senior leaders on what's working and maybe what's not working in the organization. And of course, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of great collaboration from employers with disability service organizations. Um, we're also seeing leadership commitment, of course, from the president's group and their support for the pledge to measure. And we're seeing you know, a great number of accountability as well too. I would add certainly from larger employers, um, very much resonating what Anita says that their larger employers right now are, are recognized they cannot uh, overlook any talent pool that it is, um, you know, I mean, we have historically low unemployment and they look at the data around unemployment for people with diverse abilities and they say, oh, there's a pool of talent. Um, so I think in general, and uh, it's not all employers, but they're getting it right that they recognize that this is a, a potential talent pool that can really work to their advantage if they can get it right. And that's the the question. I agree with Yat that they've moved away from legislative compliance, uh, things like uh, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act and and uh, Employment Equity Act. Uh, that's less of their motivation now. And now the motivation is we need people, and uh, we'll take any person we can get. You know, on the one hand, it's good to hear, but all these things that you've indicated, you know, that people in the business world are doing right out there and that things in the 21st century are changing. But what do you think still needs to change the most? Is it attitude? Is it is it awareness? What's the what's the what's the big thing? Um I will say that I think uh, uh the things that need to change the most would be the employer's positioning of that request for accommodation. Like as a person who uh, say like Yat, who has a hearing impairment of some kind, should not have to ask for um, an ASL interpreter at an event. Like those requests shouldn't be special. They should just be commonplace. Um, you know, I can't tell you the number of events that I've spoken at where there's a stage and no ramp. And they are only going to put in a ramp if someone asks for it. And that shouldn't be the case. It should just be standard that facilities are fully barrier-free. And I, I mean, I think about a story at a former employer where, it's a long story, but I'll, I'll summarize it. We were doing an event in a restaurant. The restaurant was called Seven Steps. I'm sure you can guess why it was called Seven Steps. And a person showed up for the event um, who used a wheelchair. And bless his heart, he said, you know, if someone can carry my chair in and carry me in, then I'll be fine. The basement, the, the washroom, of course, was in the basement. And I immediately said, there's no world in which we're doing that. I The, the humiliation of having to carry someone in uh, is just, I'm not going to accept it. So we moved the event at the last minute to another restaurant and it costs several thousand dollars, but the default should have been, we're not doing events in restaurants that are not completely accessible because if big companies started to do that, then those facilities that aren't accessible would figure it out fast. I'd like to add on uh, to this uh, as well to, to, to Michael and, and his mention of accessibility requirements in the physical space and also job accommodation. This also ties in directly, you know, part and parcel with attitudinal barriers. 
should the employer, should the restaurant or the, the manager of the restaurant have this awareness and education? Um, there would have been, you know, a, a discussion with the organizers about the accessibility of the space. Uh, for example, had, you know, previous employers uh, I worked at had, you know, um, a list of, of opportunities and, and potentially job accommodations right there for not just myself, but for others, it would make for an easy accommodation process. You know, we're, we're also seeing some things that need to change the most, which includes tech, um, accessible technology and communications. So closed captioning um, on Zoom, for example, needs to be on default. Um, uh, live, closed cap live captioning at events, equally important at conferences. Uh, There's so many times I've requested for captioning at conferences only to go awry and, and not have it be provided. And not just myself, but I can see other people as one of my colleagues um, who do not have a hearing disability also, you know, find it hard sometimes to follow along in events. And it helps with retaining of, of knowledge as well. But just one particular example I come across uh, with working with employers is once you hire a person with disability, let's say that person has a visual impairment, you bring them on, you provide the job accommodations. But if your technology and communication is not accessible, it is almost not impossible, but it's very difficult for that person to work in that environment. So say, yes, you, you take on this, this champion to hire a person with disability, you find someone that, has, that matches the skill set, um, and, and they, they invite them into your organization. But if your uh, IT or if your tech is not accessible, it becomes a really tough environment for that person to excel at. I think also, in addition to those two pieces that Michael and Yat articulated, there also has to be communication between the employee and the employer. Um, it's difficult uh, for the employer to know everything. And um, if an employee does need something, then there should be this win-win uh, type of open communication. An employer wants to do the right thing. They want to be able to provide the correct uh, support systems. Um, and then, you know, if, if they're a smaller employer, sometimes they're going to need, um, you know, other types of resources in order to make that accommodation. But uh, we can't, you know, it's, it's not something that is intrinsic. Uh, you know, we're all learning. This is a journey. Um, and, it, you know, it's... Um, you know, we, we, you know, even when we're working with um, our diverse communities, whether it's multicultural communities, um, you know, we're learning about the backgrounds of, of people and, uh, and every person matters in this economy, but you have to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, in order to make it work uh, in that workplace. And Anita, sort of jumping onto that and leading into another question you, you were talking about um you know the importance of communication between employer and employee um and recently something has started that i think is starting to generate a lot of conversation and that there's a lot of interest and it's the disability inclusion business council and um you know that was appointed by federal minister carla qualtro and anita you're the co-chair of this council. So can you tell us a bit about why this council, and for you being on it, is so important and what you're hoping this council is going to achieve? Well, the uh, Canada Disability Business Inclusion Council, uh, I co-chair it as a representative. I represent the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, our national chamber that represents 230,000 businesses, 430 chambers of commerce, boards of trades in our country. Our other co-chair is Paul Clark from TD Bank. And, uh, and then there's um, 11 council members that have been appointed by the federal government. Why does it exist? Because there's still a gap. Um, you know, there's lots of organizations that support uh, companies to hire persons with diverse abilities, whether they're visible abilities, uh, sorry, invisible um, disabilities, uh, visible disabilities, but the gap still exists. 
And uh, certainly um, it was said right off the top of this podcast, there's 600,000 people in this country uh, that are part of a labor pool, but they're not able to tap into uh, the available employment opportunities to maximize their skill sets, to maximize the supports. And so our minister is finding a pathway towards a really results-oriented workforce strategy through the consultation of not only the council members, but a national consultation and roadmap um, to ensure success for small and medium-sized businesses that are not really uh, focused or um, or we're not realizing the focus of hiring persons with disabilities. That gap is still there. And that is what we are trying to, um, you know, really work on a pathway to ensure uh, different ingredients uh, in the overall recipe towards success for those 600,000 people that matter in this economy. And, um, and so we're in the infancy of our work uh, and uh, we are going to every single province and territory uh, engaging in consultation to hear uh, from small and medium-sized businesses um, to see what's working, what's not working. Um, you know, why aren't they capturing the supports that currently exist? Why is it so confusing to navigate the supports? And, um, and knowing that we have a very diverse industry base uh, throughout the nation, whether you're in manufacturing, development and construction, retail, financial, whatever it may be, every single industry has an opportunity to realize that employment pool potential. So that's the purpose of the Canada Disability Council. And uh, it is um, a huge uh, endeavor. Uh, a huge responsibility, um, but we're all working together and that's where it all begins, working together. And speaking of working together, then Michael and Yat, I'm wondering, you know, were you aware of this council and what are some ways that you would, if you were aware of the council, what are some ways that you're maybe uh, envisioning interactions with them in your roles? Because both of you uh, really represent some uh, large, large groups that are very interested in this as well. Yeah, that's it. That's a great question, Jeanette. You know, um, at the President's Group, we've uh, come to establish um, the uh, 25 business leader model and principles um, 10 years ago um, and, and founded uh, by two business leaders <clears throat> whom are really well known in the, in the industry, Tamara Vrooman and uh, Craig Richmond. And in growing this, we recognize that you know, this is a, a great opportunity for others to, to follow and, and to and to emulate some of the, the business models. And in our discussions with, you know, ESDC, you know, of course, I think, you know, with the presence group being in Minister Quantrum's own backyard in the lower mainland, there's a great opportunity and appetite to build off of this, but for a national um, level. So um, I'm a, I'm aware of of the of the of the of the proceedings for this council, and I'm very excited to see uh, the potential work we can do together. But not only that, but also what it means from a national level for other provinces as well, whom do not have this uh, a principal model. And seeing this applied to different provinces and territories is going to provide a wealth of not only opportunities, but for Canadians to voice their feedback and to talk about how they can be part of this ever-changing and ever-growing landscape in our economy. And Michael, thank you. Yeah. Michael, what about you? Well, I'll confess that I hadn't heard of it, um, but I think that actually speaks to something that I have had conversations with the federal government about, and that is the challenge of communicating in a very noisy environment. And it is uh, so difficult to get the information out, to penetrate to all employers in the country. I remember when AODA came out 170 years ago or whatever it was, and <sighs> I would talk to employers and they didn't know that they were subject to the act. In fact, they were sure they weren't subject to the act. And 
it's it's so challenging for governments to communicate messages like this so broadly. It's tougher for governments to communicate any message so broadly, but it is such a challenge. And I think that's the that will need to be a focus of the council. And I'm I think it sounds exciting. You know, as a an advocate, I'm really excited to hear what comes out of this. But I think the challenge for the council is to figure out how do you um, get the message out in the broadest possible way through every possible avenue um, to the point, frankly, where people are just tired of hearing about it. But it's the old infamous, you got to tell people the, uh, uh, the same thing 10 times for them to remember it. And th that will be the challenge. Well, and so I'm glad and hopefully, you know, out of this conversation, there's some new connections possibly that have been made. And Anita, you've got some some strong allies uh, that maybe your council, you can lead your council over to. And, and so that also then makes me think about looking forward now, right? We've talked about sort of uh, where we were, where we are, and now where we're going. So I don't... Uh, you know, we've had the opportunity to have some really interesting guests on here. We actually are, I think it was our first podcast or our second podcast was with Paul Clark, who's your co-chair, Anita. Um, but we also had the opportunity to have Carolyn Casey um, and uh, the chair of the Valuable 500 on uh, one of our podcasts. And that was just last year. And uh, if you're familiar with Carolyn Casey, she doesn't, she doesn't mince words. Um, and she was, she was, pretty serious about saying that you know CEOs can't bury their their head in the sand anymore they can't ignore disability inclusion and and everything that you've all three of you have been talking about is is really confirming that and that those conversations and that thought and culture shift is happening um so with that in mind uh, I going to bring us back to the first question but ask it in a bit of a different way what do you what do you think or do you hope the state of disability inclusion in business in Canada is going to look like in the next 5 10 20 years michael sure i'll start i, I think uh, from my perspective what i would like to see is just complete integration so that again coming back to the point that the the person with the diverse ability doesn't always have to stick up their hand and ask for the accessibility or the accommodation. Uh, that's not to say there aren't going to be moments where there has to be a conversation. It's absolutely going to happen. You know, if a person lives with, say, Crohn's or colitis, and they're going to need accommodation related to that. That's just those things happen. You can't answer everything. But we would see every building in this country is accessible for people who use wheelchairs or who use mobility devices. We would see uh, just as a default, ASL interpreters captioning on every single event. It wouldn't be something you know. You know, at the at the last minute, someone would say, "Oh no, we need a captioner or we need an interpreter." No, that just happens. That's what I would like to see: is that it is just part of the way we function as a society, and people recognize that we do those things not for special treatment of those poor people with disabilities. It's to say we want to include everyone in society so everyone can contribute to their fullest potential. I think what I'd like to see in five years is really, you know, the 10-person business, uh, the 25-person the business, uh, you know, really, you know, a blended workforce where you're, you're visibly, you know, you know, seeing HR policies that are intrinsic to where everyone matters, where hiring job postings are, are available to everyone. You know, everyone has an opportunity to, you know, really be interviewed uh, for that position um, and, and where there's a conversation where um, you're, you're visually seeing, you know, that this workforce uh, that is not only multicultural, but also you're seeing this approach uh, for persons uh, with disabilities, uh, whether they're visible or invisible. And um, of course, if it's invisible, you're not going to see it intrinsically. 
Um, but uh, I want, you know, more people to talk about their disability, you know, as well, uh, you know, don't hide it. Um, and that way we can work closer together, uh, you know, make sure that our communities are more accessible. And as a city building business organization uh, here at the Surrey Board of Trade, and uh, what Michael is speaking to, to ensure that our buildings are accessible. Uh, you know, we have a thriving development and construction sector here in Surrey uh, to ensure that, you know, everyone has the opportunity uh, for livable community assets in addition to that, that workforce that um, is intrinsically in tune with, um, with everyone's needs through conversation and through communication. What I'd like to see over the next 10, 15, 20 years is, of course, again, the ongoing greater awareness, understanding of people with disabilities in the workplace and in our media as well, too. Uh, so it starts from the top. And I think media representation is often overlooked um, as, a, as a medium and conduit to share the communication uh, that of the representation of our current landscape in the workplace too. So, I mean, just recently um, in 2021, there was a stat that showed Canadians spent on average of what, five and a half hours with digital media each day. So every day, every moment, every five hours of your waking hour time in your day, you're spending on scrolling your phone and among other things. And what are you seeing on your phones? Are you seeing people with disabilities in the workplace? Are you, is there an inclusive model that is, is appearing on your phone? Uh, is a brand associating themselves with an inclusive model as well too? Perhaps a person who uses a wheelchair, a person who's wearing a visible hearing device, or a person who's signing on the advertisement as well too. So I think, you know, we need to continue to be front and center, like when Michael mentioned earlier about, you know, a really saturated space needs to be front and center of Canadians and where they are, we need to be there as well, too. Um, and another thing I think is important that I hope in the next 10 to 15 years we realize is to focus on career mobility for people with disabilities. And when I speak about career mobility, that these are uh, persons with disabilities who self-identify in the workplace um, and also kind of their job potential in terms of uh, receiving or attaining a promotion and uh, working upwards uh, within the organization or being primed for uh, future work at other organizations. Um, there's it's still a really kind of new kind of area for research. Um, what I understand is that there is still a lot of focus on career mobility for persons with disabilities. They're often left to themselves to kind of seek um, opportunities within the organization or at other organizations as well. So I'd like to see more conversations and research on this in the next 10 to 15 years. And you know, it's that's interesting um, because really, what what all of you are speaking to, if all of those if all of those things are realized, then this concept, yeah, that you're finalizing with around this employment life cycle, right? The challenge isn't just about and and uh, and and the call to action isn't just about securing a job. We're talking about a lifelong integration and and activity within the economy, within your communities. So we are talking about the employment life cycle. And, you know, Anita and Michael, to your points about, you know, visibility and accessibility and just the everything becoming sort of the default way that things are done is going to ensure as well this ability for addressing the employment life cycle of a person. I think I'll, I'll, I'll pause there before I get on my soapbox. Dean, what were you going to say? I was going to say that, yeah, you gave me a little bit of shot of a good shot of adrenaline there when you talked about, you know, the importance of disability representation in the media, because we're actually doing a two-part series on that that's airing later this year. Um, so what I'm wondering is, you know, you've, you know, told us what your vision is and all the things that, that are possible and they're perfectly reasonable expectations. So 
how do we get to that future state of disability inclusion that you're envisioning? What's your main message? What's sort of one key call to action for businesses to help us all get there in the next 5, 10, 15, 25 years? Start measuring, Dean. Peter Drucker has a, a famous quote, um, you can't manage what you can't measure. So start measuring today. It's it's not that hard to measure. At the President's Group, we have a pillar campaign uh, where we measure uh, organizations within British Columbia who are part of what we call the Pledge to Measure. We ask two simple questions on our survey. Do you self-identify with a disability and are you a senior leader? The senior leader component is very important to us because it shows us year over year that benchmark, but also the benchmark for the person the people with disabilities within that organization and how they're growing year over year in terms of numbers or perhaps um, they're not growing. And we can start asking questions, why and how, and how can we support them in, in that growth and, and to meet those uh, goals. So again, um, my main message uh, for organizations uh, that are thinking about being on this path or perhaps wanting to take this next step uh, to be part of this inclus inclusive workplace I encourage you and recommend them to start measuring today. You know, the call to action to businesses is um, to contact uh, supportive organizations like the President's Group, uh, like Chambers of Commerce, Boards of Trades, and, and other organizations uh, that can offer that support to businesses. Um, I think there, there really needs to be that collaboration between the business and support organizations. Um, and I, you know, I'd like to see more of that um, it, to ensure results in action. I would say that a bit of a reminder to every employer, to everyone, and that is that everything in life is a form of accommodation. It just depends on whether or not it's an accommodation for the minority or the majority. If you go to a meeting, and someone provides you a chair to sit in, that is a form of accommodation because the person who shows up who uses a wheelchair doesn't need it. If you go into an office and there are lights, that is a form of accommodation because a person who is blind doesn't need them. Everything is a form of accommodation. It's just whether or not you're accommodating the many or the few. So if we can get our brains around that, and this is where we focus on the E in idea, which is equity, recognizing that people have different needs. We don't all start from the same place. So if you want me to be successful in your environment, you're going to have to potentially treat me differently. And that may mean that I need a screen reader. It may mean that I need a ramp. It may mean any number of things. But if you treat everyone the same, then you are naturally excluding people. Prolific insights. You've all had some great insights. Is, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important to mention? I was uh, just going to say that we need to talk more about what is working well. And we need to send that out through our different, uh, as, as businesses send that out through our different marketing channels, social media, even a, a, a you know, a short, um, you know, tw tweet even uh, to celebrate, uh, you know, what is going on in our society right now. Uh, we all need to be role models for each other. And by being role models, we can learn from each other and even be better. I was just going to say, um, if you think that it's going to happen on its own, it's not. Disability inclusion requires work. And if you're not willing to put in the work, nothing's going to change. It's sort of like getting a gym membership and not going. It sounds like a good theory. It just doesn't work. Um, so you have to put in the effort in order to make your environments accessible and inclusive so that everyone can participate fully. I echo both uh, what Anita and Michael had mentioned and also the part about legislation. I think, you know, 
uh, organ employers need to get on it, you know, before there's some extra and added teeth to the legislation and it becomes uh, not an insurmountable place to, to start this work, but you'd be behind the April. And I think employers need to be proactive if they wish to do, be part of this, and they should be. And I think it goes hand in hand with the, the celebration, of course, with National Accessibility Week and International's Persons with Disabilities you know, Day, which we can mention as well. Too. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that, yeah, because I was thinking about <clears throat> Anita, what you had said about talking about what's working well, and uh, and that is, I mean, in in our calendars right now, we know that um, we know that there's um, uh, the entire month of October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and that's really at the the theme of that every year uh, alters depending on if you're in the states or in Canada or if you're part of Odin because we make our own theme, um, but you know that is specifically around celebrating and acknowledging the contributions and talking about what's going right and learning from other people. So, you know, I thank you for those for those closing thoughts. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's thankful for this. I think other people who are who are listening um, are going to be thankful for, for being able to sit in on this conversation. And um, you've probably given people a lot to consider uh, about both the past, the present, and this future vision of the state of things and how how disability inclusion is going to fit in to keeping uh, employer businesses. So employer businesses in Canada, there's approximately 1.3 million of them in this country. So how this is going to keep them successful both now and in the future as well. So Anita and Yat and Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show to have this important conversation and share your insights with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for me as well, Michael, Anita, and yet, you know, we mentioned off the top of the show that this whole discourse about disability inclusion and in Canadian businesses has been going on for over a century. And part of me wonders whether it's going to go on for another hundred years. I mean, let's hope not. But I'm an idealist champion personality type, so I'd like to think the pro that the progress that still needs to be made, as you've all talked about in this great conversation, will happen within the next few years or at least in our lifetimes for all of us here today. And on that optimistic note, the present state of things comes to an end, at least for this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. I'm Jeanette Campbell. And I'm Dean Askin. Thanks again for listening wherever, whenever, and on whatever podcast app you're listening from. Join us each episode as we have insightful conversations like the ones we've had on past episodes. Have a listen to some of those, like the present one in this conversation, and like the conversations we'll be bringing you on future shows as we explore disability inclusion in business and in our communities from all the angles. You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D is produced in Toronto, Canada by the Ontario Disability Employment Network. All rights reserved. Our podcast production team, executive producer and host, Jeanette Campbell, producer, Sue Defoe, associate producer and host, Dean Askin, audio editing and production by Dean Askin. Our podcast theme is Last Summer by Ixon. If you have feedback or comments about an episode, contact us at info at odinnetwork.com. That's info at O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. Join us each episode for insights from expert guests as we explore the power of inclusion, the business benefits of inclusive hiring, and why disability is an important part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. Listen to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D on Podbean or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.